0: what's up everyone and welcome back to the real deal podcast if you're new here my name is antonio moreno and on today's episode i'm going to re- be recapping the iowa caucuses that just took place this past monday and are pretty indicative of who the republican nominee for president of the united states is going to be and we're going to discuss the results and what that means for the remainder of uh, this uh, primary portion of the presidential race at least in the republican party in the last episode, if you didn't have a chance to check that out, be sure to listen in. I spoke about uh, ways for you to grow your relationship with God and uh, the ways that I have done that and why my faith is so important. It's the first time I've really gone in depth about my faith and my faith journey uh, on on the podcast, and I intend to do more episodes like that uh, in in the very near future. And I'm excited to uh, I'm excited to share my thoughts on on my faith and and also even doing potentially uh, sort of podcast Bible studies. Uh, I I'm really feeling inclined to do that, and I feel I'm being called to do that. Uh, and I'm very excited to uh, basically have uh, part of the podcast be dedicated to that. So I hope you enjoy that episode after you listen to this one. But on today's episode, we're gonna be talking about the Iowa caucuses. Make sure to uh, follow the podcast. Make sure to share it with your friends and family. Make sure to leave a rating. If you haven't seen the announcement on the podcast Instagram. This podcast is now available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so you can actually listen to this podcast now on Apple Podcasts and all Apple Podcasting platforms. Uh, it is available, so be sure to listen in, leave a rating, and share it. It's what gets the podcast out to more people. I, As I always say, thank you so much for the support and all the feedback that you guys have been giving me. Uh, it makes me very motivated to uh, record and, and to speak on different topics and bring new people on the show. I'm really, really excited for what this year has in store. Now let's go to the Iowa caucuses. So to briefly summarize, if if you don't know how sort of presidential politics works in terms of choosing a candidate, uh, there's this electoral process in some states, which is called a caucus. Iowa is one of those states. Now most states have a primary where you can go at any time during the day to a certain facility or uh area and in 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 your local community where you go and cast a ballot it can be of any type and you vote for a candidate a caucus is slightly different a caucus for example such as in iowa is on a certain day at a very small window of time of maybe an hour and a half two hours at over in the case of iowa there's over a thousand of these places which are dedicated to this but basically Each community goes to their caucus location for a very specific period of time. They listen to representatives of the candidates speak or the candidates themselves if they choose to show up there. And they then afterwards, after listening, write down the name of the candidate on a piece of paper. They go and cast their ballot. It's paper ballots and then it's counted right in front of you and the results are right in front of you everything's done right in front of you, everything is settled right then and there in that short amount of time, and it's basically old politic gathering. It's an old politic style of voting, uh, and it's very efficient. We know the winner quite quickly. The night of, in just a few hours, all the votes are counted, and you have the winner. So that's what a caucus is. That's the caucus system. Heading into this Iowa caucus, President Trump Uh, was throughout most of the last year very much ahead, far ahead in the polling. I think that the indictments have had an effect in terms of rousing the base and getting more support for him because people are identifying the indictments against President Donald Trump as a form of political espionage, as a form of political interference by the current administration uh, and the quote-unquote deep state, uh, via use of the justice system against him, uh, and people are identifying those actions as such, and as a result, it's reflected in the polling. And actually, if you go to the national averages on Real Clear Politics, um, it was also a segment on MSNBC where Steve Kornacki was talking about this, where you can see that the polling average for Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis was actually polling. In and around 10 points, within 10 points of Trump about a year ago. Well, as soon as the indictment started, Trump's poll numbers went way up, the others went way down. So that had an effect. I think what also has an effect is Biden's record low approval rating at the moment, which is well below 40%. I even saw a poll this week where his approval rating was, I think, at 32 or 33%, which is the lowest ever. I think one of the lowest ever if not the lowest ever and he has obviously like a 68 or 67% disapproval rating which is basically the worst thing you want to see if you're an incumbent president in a re-election year. Uh, and Trump was for the last year getting well above 50% and in many polls 60 and even 70% uh, of 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 support in in polls in both the national average in the Republican primary and the individual Uh, polls per state for the Republican nomination. In terms of a Trump-Biden race, in terms of a Trump-Biden race uh, in the past few months, he's been ahead by quite a bit in all seven of the swing states. There were polls that just came out at the end of 2023, where he was well ahead in states such as Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia, North Carolina, uh, Florida, etc. So, Uh, Donald Trump right now, polling-wise, is in a great position, and obviously the indictments, Biden's low approval rating, I think also very grassroots issues, uh, which a lot of these town halls, if you watch, there's the common theme of the economy and immigration, especially with what's going on at the border right now, when you even have senators in the Democratic Party, such as Senator John Fetterman, who was recently elected from Pennsylvania, coming out and basically slamming Biden on the border uh, and saying that anybody that doesn't see the border issue as a crisis is not living in a world of reality. When you even have Democrats, senators on your side calling you out and calling you out consistently on these issues having to be fixed, I think that says something. And I think that's one of the reasons that Trump has also been able to rouse a lot of support from the angst and uh, the desperate electorate Uh, which is discontent with Biden, he's been able to gather a lot of their support. Trump's strategy is reliance on his record. He did the job. He was there in the office for four years and the desperate electorate, as I just mentioned, because of discontent with Biden, he already has the base of the Republican Party. So in terms of the Republican nomination, I think he's got that pretty much wrapped up. And after the results in Iowa, I think it's even more evident that that is the case. The other three candidates in this race, which are Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, if we look at Nikki Haley, who was the former UN ambassador to the United Nations, and she was the uh, governor of South Carolina for a period of time, then uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who's a businessman, and uh, he kind of entered the race as a last minute sort of interesting candidate. Nobody really knew about him. I didn't know about him when he entered the race. And in all fairness, for him to actually have gained the support he had from zero less than less than 1% in the polls, 0% in the polls, to in the Iowa caucuses getting 8.5% of the vote is actually quite impressive. So fair play to Vivek on that accomplishment. But in terms of what their strategies were, Vivek, I'm sure maybe believed that somehow he could, but I think pretty much everyone knew that he wasn't going to get the nomination, so what was his point of running? Well, I think he did send a clear message to Trump, who pretty much is going to be the nominee, and that's what it looks like it all indicates that will be the case i think what he did do to president trump is he gave him a heads up that you need the young people you need the young people on your side not just the maga crowd but you need the independents and maybe the moderate democrats to come over and based on your policies based on what you did as president based on what's going on currently with the current administration And issues such as education, such as the economy, with gas prices, uh, with uh, the issue going on at the border, which, which is a clear crisis and it needs to be confronted immediately and it could be solved so easily, but I think we have a lot of incompetence in the current government and it's not a top priority clearly. These are the issues people care about and is affecting their daily lives, especially the border states. So many people being killed by drugs, fentanyl, uh, when you have tons of gang members uh, entering and we don't even know where they're coming from, what countries they're coming from, what diseases they might bring. Are they drug addicts? Are they human traffickers? There was the recent movie, I forget the name, that just came out. I think it's called Sound of Freedom. I, I don't remember if that was the name, but... Uh, the uh, the movie that came out, which uh, basically covers that whole issue of human trafficking, which is, it's a total disgrace. And so it's definitely a huge, huge, huge problem at the border, and it needs to be solved. These are the issues people are talking about. And Ravek Ramaswamy sees the young MAGA crowd, takes Trump's sort of position on these issues, and basically tells them, I'm your generation, we need a new generation to lead the Republican Party, we need a new generation to lead, as Ravake Ramaswamy says, the revolution, Uh, the revolution of getting back in the White House and doing what Trump did, that's his strategy. Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, not really the same strategy, they're seeking part of the MAGA crowd because obviously if they're going to win the nomination, they're going to have to win a significant amount of voters away from Donald Trump. None of the presidential debates seem to have been doing that, and it's also clear that after result after the results in Iowa, it's very unlikely that that's going to happen. But they need to seek the MAGA base, and they're obviously taking like Trump. Um, the uh, they're taking advantage of the uh, the electorate despair or the, the 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 discontent that there is with Biden being in office and what's happening, and questioning Trump's electability because of all of the indictments because of January 6th, because of him being impeached twice as president, all of these things. They've gone after Trump very heavily. So that's the position that the candidates have taken. If we look at the money, it's a ridiculous amount of money that they've spent. If we actually look at the amount of money that each candidate has spent in this race, um, it's, it's tons of money. According to um, uh, Axios, which is spelled A-X-I-O-S dot Uh, It says that here, as of the Friday before the uh, Iowa caucus, 46% of all Republican presidential primary video ad spending, which totaled $270 million, had been used to try to pursue Iowa voters. So basically, half, half of the money spent on the campaign trail up to this point has been spent literally only in the state of Iowa. That's a lot of money. If we look more specifically in terms of advertisements we look at advertising, such as TV ads and Instagram, Facebook, social media and television advertisement, if we look at those totals, uh, according to this source, it says here that uh, Nikki Haley spent $7.8 million, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis spent just over $6 million, Trump $3.5 million, Vivek Ramaswamy uh, $127,000. Even more money has been spent on fundraising and get-out-the-vote ads targeted to Iowans on platforms such as Google and Facebook, according to their respective online ad libraries. So I think this is important to note because it goes to show that Trump, while he did not spend anywhere near the amount of money that Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis spent, he won the Iowa caucuses, as I'm about to uh, discuss, by a huge margin. So all of that money spent really didn't do anything for Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. Maybe game them some voters, but it didn't do the job that they were hoping for in terms of making Iowa extremely competitive with the front runner. They made it competitive between themselves, between the second and third place candidate, but ultimately, ultimately, what matters is is the front runner, and you didn't really make inroads on that when the front runner wins by 30 points. So, in terms of the advertisement money. Those are the numbers. Now, if we look at the overall total, if we look at the overall totals, which was in terms of Iowa, in terms of the grassroots campaign strategy, remember, it's not just advertisements. It's not just social media. It's the money that the candidates spend. You have to look at on the ground, actually campaigning, going to events, also have to factor in the average donation amount. I don't know if it's calculated weekly or monthly, but you have to factor in the donation amount. All of these things come into play. Uh, and what the grassroots campaigning um, is and the amount of money that is spent on the events, on the flyers, on the posters, on the hats, on the boards, on the merchandise that the candidates might have, these are all things that obviously you need money for and money is obviously rammed down uh, the throats of Iowans in order to persuade them to vote. I mean, there's been tons of money, as I just said, according to CNBC, $120 million total in Iowa from everybody. Now, if we actually look at who spent the most money, it was Nikki Haley. According to CNBC, it was Nikki Haley who spent $37 million in the state of Iowa, and uh, she was the one that spent the most out of everybody. So just under $40 million. Uh, And according to CNBC... Around $84 million of the $120 million total which was spent from the campaigns came from Trump, Haley, and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. This figure includes television, radio, digital spots. Nikki Haley was the top spender. Then you had DeSantis, who came in terms of spending pretty close second. Trump did spend a large amount of money, but nowhere near uh, the numbers that Haley and DeSantis had put up, and Vivek Ramaswamy was well behind, uh, and and certainly, obviously, that's another reason that it was logical to assume that he wasn't going to go anywhere far, uh, and and win the nomination because Vivek Ramaswamy's new here to the political circle, and he doesn't have he doesn't have the sources for money like the other candidates do. Uh, obviously, Trump depends a lot on the donations and on money that he himself has. Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, yes, they have that as well, but they also have the super PACs, the donors, the special interests, which control the narrative, what you're supposed to say, because they're the ones giving you the money. That's just how it works, both the Republican Party, both the Democrat Party. If you even listen to a lot of people on the other side of the aisle, in terms of the Democrat Party, many people in the last number of elections, as far as I can remember ever being interested in the political spectrum and, uh, and, and and how sort of presidential politics works, one of the biggest arguments from the political left, the Democrats, especially the progressives, is how they hate that most of their candidates are always bought and paid for by donors and special interests. Vivek Ramaswamy on the debate stage, in one of the previous debates before the Iowa caucuses, had called out the Republicans who were doing the same thing, and many progressives agreed with him. And agreed that he called them out on that issue. So that is something that, for example, uh, progressives and conservatives, in, in that sense, in terms of where candidates are getting their money, agree on. Trump obviously is against it, and that's why in 2016... He vowed to not take money from donors and special interests. I remember in the debate where he was debating, uh, I believe, in New Hampshire against uh, former Governor Jeb Bush at the time, and he even called them out to their face, and Trump basically told them, oh, they're all special interests and, and donors in the crowd because the RNC told us that's who's in the crowd, and those are the people that are supporting all these other candidates, but the reason they're not loving me is because I don't want their money. I don't want their money, and I'm going to do the right thing for the people. So this is the position Trump has taken in terms of how he's getting his money. Now, to actually going into the results of this race, it was a total blowout. Trump won the Iowa caucuses with 51% of the vote. Ron DeSantis got second place, a very distant second, uh, 30 points behind second place, so really not doing anything of which he has been talking about for I don't know how long since he's been in the race, because if you were going to do anything uh, and make this interesting, it wasn't to make it interesting between you and the second place candidate. It was to make it interesting between you and the front runner, and that wasn't really accomplished. He finished with 21.2% of the vote. Nikki Haley finished slightly behind in third with 19.1% of the vote. Trump got 56,260 votes. Ron DeSantis, 23,420. And Nikki Haley, Twenty-one thousand uh, and eighty-five votes. The total uh, number of votes that were casted. The expected number was around a hundred, between one hundred and fifty and one hundred and eighty thousand, based on the twenty sixteen Iowa caucuses when Trump uh, was 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 in that, and then also in, in twenty twenty, because of the weather, the very bad snowstorms that have been taking place in Iowa and the freezing cold temperatures where it's been well below zero. And I'm sure if you've been Hearing about weather or the news, I'm sure you've heard about the conditions in Iowa at the moment. They're pretty bad and very cold. Uh, And I think that had a very big effect in terms of why the total voter turnout was lower than expected because the total number of votes casted, according to the New York Times, is 110,298 total votes reported. And I'm getting the vote totals off the New York Times, and they also have a map which shows you county by county the results of each race in the counties. Donald Trump won 98 of 99 counties in Iowa, something that has not been accomplished ever. Nobody's ever won by a 30-point margin. The largest margin of victory was 12.5 percentage points. Uh, George Bush won in 2000 with 41% of the vote. That's the highest ever up until this point, uh, in a Iowa caucus for the Republican party. And now Trump beat that by 10 points by getting 51% of the vote. So over the 50% margin, which is what the polls were indicating before the Iowa caucuses, the average in the polls in terms of real clear politics, other news organizations was around the 52, 53, somewhere in the high fifties, close to 60, but the average was around 52, 53%. He ended up getting 51% of the vote. So the polling was quite accurate in terms of the results in Iowa. If we go to some of the important counties, the one county that Trump lost by, and yes, he lost by one vote. He literally didn't win 99 counties by one vote. And uh, the results were 1,271 for Nikki Haley, 1,270 for uh, Donald Trump in Johnson County, which is a county where there's a high population of college-educated voters, uh, because of uh, the uh, university i don't know if it's the university of iowa or if it's iowa state but one of the major universities is in that county so as a result of this uh donald trump lost by one vote in that singular county he won every other county in the state and in a number of them ran up the total significantly we look at for example in polk county where trump Uh, won easily by 11 points with 38% of the vote. Ron DeSantis in Polk County finished second with 27% of the vote. Uh, And Trump got uh, 6,629 votes. Ron DeSantis got 4,772 votes. That's in Polk County, which is where Des Moines is. That's where Des Moines, Iowa is. If we go over to Cedar Rapids, very similar result. In Lynn County, where Cedar Rapids is located, Uh, We have Trump with 43% of the vote in second place, Nikki Haley with just 25% of the vote. If we go over to Scott County, which is where Davenport is, uh, Donald Trump with 49% of the vote in Scott County, Nikki Haley coming in second, a very distant second with 24% of the vote, Trump getting almost 3,000 votes, Nikki Haley um, getting just over 1,400 in Scott County. If we go over to Woodbury County, that's another county where Trump did very well, where Sioux City is, Donald Trump got 57% of the vote, and Ron DeSantis was in second, a very distant second, 22%, uh, almost a reflection of what the entire state vote total was. So Trump was running up the margin in a lot of these locations. We can go also to Blackhawk County where he got over 52% of the vote, we can go over to um, Potawatomi, I think that's how it's pronounced, Uh, Potawatomi County, uh, where Trump got 61% of the vote. I might be pronouncing that wrong. But bottom line, he got 61% of the vote and won in the total blowout. Nikki Haley in that county finished second, but with 18% of the vote. Donald Trump got almost 2,000 votes. Nikki Haley barely got over the 500 vote threshold. So, point being, Donald Trump was basically running up the numbers in pretty much all of the major counties and major population centers in the state. He was also doing the same in many of the rural counties. Uh, If we go over to, for example, Lyon County, he got 59% of the vote in Lyon County. Uh, Osceola County, 64% of the vote. O'Brien County, he got 63% of the vote. Uh, In Sioux County, 45% of the vote, almost 1,000 votes. Uh, And these four counties I just listed are in the north western quadrant of the state of iowa and in that northwestern quadrant in the previous iowa caucuses that was extremely competitive which was in 2016 ted cruz won that iowa caucus in 2016 it was ted cruz donald trump and uh, marco rubio and ted cruz won those four counties by a significant margin which is why donald trump lost the iowa caucus and finished second in 2016 this time He did what Ted Cruz did. He ran the margin up in those four counties in the northwest quadrant of the state, and I think that's a reflection of what the state of Iowa is. I think it's a reflection of where the country is going in terms of the Republican Party, uh, and that this primary is effectively over, and there's... Almost no chance for Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis to make any inroads in terms of the actual results uh, of of what's going to happen eventually and who's going to become the nominee for president. So in terms of the overall results, very favorable to Donald Trump. Just to touch on maybe why Ron DeSantis finished second uh, ahead of Nikki Haley, it's not as significant as Ron DeSantis made it in his speech Saying that somehow he's bought his ticket out of Iowa and that he's going to be able to remain in the race. If anything, it would be Nikki Haley that has some sort of argument because the polls show, at least in New Hampshire, that's somewhat close—not really, but somewhat competitive. Ron DeSantis, there was a poll that came out today that he had a, they had him at five percent in New Hampshire, and so he's basically now switching his attention to North to South South Carolina, where he's also polling pretty poorly. So for Ron DeSantis to come out and say that he, you know, is making this a race when you lost by 30 points to the front runner is just a completely BS. And, and, and it, it's an argument that this just has no sense to it. And as much as I like his policies and what he's done in Florida, I think it's a big fat mistake. Uh, and, and I think DeSantis doing that and Nikki Haley doing that as well and trying to convince themselves that somehow they're going to in polling make up significant margins uh, in, in, in just a very short amount of time and, and somehow beat Trump to the nomination. Even if they beat him in one state, the national averages, state averages for most of the states have Trump way up 60, 70%. Uh, so I just don't see it happening. And the results in Iowa, I think are indicative of, uh, of, of, of pretty much what the Republican party is going to look like, at least for the time being, and who's going to be the nominee. We look ahead to New Hampshire and South Carolina. I think Trump wins those two states, which I think is what's going to happen, and he seals the deal. I think he wins those two states, and I think at that point, if he wins both New Hampshire and South Carolina, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis uh, should back Donald Trump for the Republican nomination, as Vivek Ramaswamy did. Politically, it makes sense to do that because you're not wasting money on a campaign that you know is completely Useless when it's clear who the nominee is going to be. And if Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis want to contribute in defeating Joe Biden from the Republican Party's perspective to waste money on their individual campaigns, they back Trump and they spend that money to help Trump potentially win the election. In terms of the electoral landscape and a political decision, that's the appropriate decision from the perspective of. I think, the the, the the candidates left in this race, and ultimately I think is what the vast majority of people who are supporting Donald Trump want, is they want DeSantis and Haley to drop out, just like Vivek Ramaswamy did after finishing fourth in the Iowa caucuses. Uh, New Hampshire allows Democrats and independents to vote in their primary, so that is significant, and that is why Nikki Haley has done somewhat decent in recent polling. South Carolina is much more Trump-MAGA country, so Trump's going to win South Carolina easily, even though Nikki Haley is the former governor of that state. The electorate is much more favorable to him. Uh, and New Hampshire, because it's an open primary where independents and Democrats are, if she has any chance of making this somewhat interesting, she's going to have to do something in New Hampshire. There was even a poll that came out where it has them tied in New Hampshire. According to, according to The Hill, uh, a poll just came out uh, on uh, the 17th. So that was yesterday on the 17th where it has Trump and Haley tied in New Hampshire at, um, I believe 40% is what the, is what the vote total was. So I think at 40% is what, uh, they have. Yes. So at 40%, Trump and Haley are tied in this one poll. If we look at other polls in terms of the recent number of months, uh, according to the American Research Group, uh, the, uh, the polling which they've done in December had Trump up 3329, uh, 29 33-37 uh, Trump up at the beginning of January. Now they have it at 40-40 dead even, according to this poll from the American Research Group, which the Hill is the source I'm getting this from. But if we look at the in terms of the average polling amount. The average polling amount for uh for New Hampshire is heavily still favored Trump Trump still uh in terms of the average polling still gives him about a 10 point lead in New Hampshire. Another poll that just came out today according to The Guardian, uh their headline says major poll gives Trump 16 point lead in New Hampshire days before the primary. Uh, Nikki Haley follows at 34% while Trump is at almost 50% uh, and Ron DeSantis is at a very, 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 very distant 5%. Uh, And it says here, the Florida governor's campaign switches focus to South Carolina. So really to summarize, if Nikki Haley is going to make this a race, I think that it's going to have to be in New Hampshire where she makes some sort of noise. Otherwise, it's a done deal. Uh, there were recent news out of this week in terms of the campaigns. Um, DeSantis is basically not running in New Hampshire because he's in the polls down so badly and turning his focus to South Carolina. He's been criticized for not listening to the base in terms of dropping out in terms of supporting Trump. And there's this sort of consensus, especially among uh, younger voters, that he's losing support and trust in the Republican party as a result. And uh, Nikki Haley also, because she views that based on the polling, it's going to be between her and Trump, she dropped out of the Republican debate that was supposed to happen in New Hampshire before the primary next week. And now there's no debate. So there's no debate. Nikki Haley thinks that it's her and Trump. DeSantis thinks it's him and Trump, but really the polls indicate if there's any sort of, if there's any sort of competitiveness to this primary cycle. It's between Nikki Haley and Trump just because of the more moderate, younger, college-educated voters that are voting for Nikki Haley. But I think it's clear that Donald Trump is going to be the nominee for the party uh, unless something catastrophic or some health issue or something happens. Everything and all signs point to Donald Trump being the nominee of the Republican Party for president this year. So, we're going to see what happens in New Hampshire next week. I think it'll be interesting to see if Nikki Haley is able to make some sort of contest in New Hampshire. But as I said, I think Trump wins New Hampshire, wins South Carolina. That's three back to back to back wins. If he wins them extremely convincingly, as he did in Iowa by running up the margin and winning by 30 plus points, then there's really no argument as to why DeSantis and Nikki Haley shouldn't drop out and support the lead candidate. For the Republican Party and spend their money on that campaign. It also will build trust in the voters, uh, again, in terms of trust from the voters towards them because they're doing the right thing in the voters' eyes, uh, who are supporting the overwhelmingly favorite candidate. We'll see what happens, but thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I hope that was a good little sort of review of what's happened and and, and a good indicator of what's going to happen. Um, and it was certainly all over the news. I was watching it. I was listening to a lot of the news networks. Uh, and, and hearing their perspectives, and, but basically I try to look at sort of what happened, what are the takeaways, and based on the polling and based on also the electorate per state, what's most likely going to happen, and as I said, everything favors for Trump to be the nominee. We'll see what happens in New Hampshire next week. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I will speak about this more in one of the next episodes, but I plan on potentially doing Uh, and starting Q&A episodes uh, in the future uh, with you guys. I think that'd be a great way to interact with my listeners, and I think that I could be able to answer some of your questions uh, or comments that you have about the podcast or things or topics that you want me to discuss. So I'll talk about that more in the next episode, but uh, I am planning on doing some Q&A episodes in the near future. So thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow the Instagram uh, where I have all the updates on on the show on the podcast, uh, and where you can see all the latest updates on what takes place and what's going to happen and what the episodes posted are. That is the real deal underscore three sixty, the real deal underscore three sixty all lowercase. Make sure to follow the Instagram. Make sure to listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you so much, and I will catch you on the next episode. Peace.